0: Uh, we're gonna jump back into our series on blessed if you missed last week i would encourage you to jump online i started uh, week one last week and so this week i'm just gonna tell you this is probably the slowest i'm talking today i, I, I i'm just warning you so what i'm saying is get ready and because uh, i'm gonna start talking pretty quick because i, I count my words and my notes and this week i have double of my, like of what I say. And so, uh, you're probably like, Oh Lord, we're going to be here for a while. No, we're not. I just have a, we're going to read through a good amount of scripture. It's a story. Um, but I really want to, um, to share this with you. But before we get into that, I got a question for you. Have you ever thought that you really like really, really wanted something Like you had something in mind and you thought, man, if I just get that new car, if I get that new house, if I get that new job, if I get that relationship, if I get that, that, you know, if I get married or whatever it may be, if I can just get that and fill in the blank, you're like, then I'll be satisfied and then I'll be good. And and then you finally get that, whatever it is that your heart wanted and you found it kind of lacking and it didn't really quite produce what you thought, you know, and you kind of have that let down moment. I mean, have you ever done that? Like you, or you go buy something that you spend a lot of money on. Maybe you saved up all your money to buy something. And you're like, I'm going to wait till I have the money. I'm gonna wait till I have the money. And then you get there and you buy it. And then you're kind of like, can I take this thing back? Cause I'd rather have my money. Anybody else guilty of that? Anybody? I mean, I've had those moments, right? And so I want to share a story with you from the old Testament about a guy that this is very true of. And his name is Jacob. And Jacob is an important figure in the old Testament. And, um, you know, for lots of reasons, but he's really integral to the story of God's dealing, but also God's promises to the children of Israel. Many of you have heard of Abraham in Scripture, and Abraham was Jacob's grandfather, and Isaac was his dad. And, and even at sometimes, I mean, Jacob is quite an interesting character in Scripture. Uh, if you don't know much about him, he uh, he's interesting for lots of reasons. And uh, we're going to look at some of these today. and uh, But but really, uh, you know, God even identified himself multiple times. Uh, there's about 15 to 18 times in Scripture where God actually says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. And, and Jacob didn't, wasn't always named Jacob. Uh, he began as Jacob, but we're, we're going to see here in a little while that God actually changes his name. Which we don't really think about this so much, but in that day and time and in that culture, your name represented who you were. It was characteristics. And, and so it really defined who you were. And so for God to change somebody's name, think about a New Testament example of this is that we have Saul, the persecutor of the church, who gets radically saved and becomes Paul, the apostle. God redefined who he was. And so because of that, he changed his name and this happens for Jacob. And so, but I want to pick up at actually kind of in the middle of Jacob's story. And then we're going to rewind. And so, because I want to show you something here. And I believe that if if you can stick with me and follow me through this, I believe that when we get to the end of this message, that you're going to be able to grab hold of what I'm wanting to communicate to you. And so it starts here in Genesis chapter 32. So it's in the the first book of the Bible we're kind of picking up mid story, but there's a lot going on before this. I'm not, don't have time. I already told you I have double the amount of notes as normal. So this is the edited down version of the story. And, uh, but it picks up here in verse 24 and it says, so Jacob was left alone. Jacob was actually so blessed and had so much stuff that he had to move. Wouldn't that be a, an amazing problem to have? It's like, man, I have so much cattle. and I have so much stuff. I've got to move, which it sounds kind of familiar because his grandfather had the same problem. There was Abraham and his nephew, and they had so much flock, so many herds that they had to split because the ground could not support both of their abundance. And so we see a blessing here that's actually now gone generationally, and it's showing up in Jacob. And it says that, so Jacob was left alone. He sent his family across the river, and yet he's camped out by himself. Why he's camped out by himself, I don't know. We don't really know. It just says that he was left alone and a man came and wrestled with him until daybreak. It's kind of an odd scripture. Who is this man and where did he come from? And it says, but when the man saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob, he touched his hip and Jacob's hip was dislocated as they wrestled. And so we have this picture of two guys who are fighting all night long. Why are they fighting? Why is this going on? We'll get some context here in a moment. But in the struggle, it's getting to daybreak. And really, other uh, translations, other versions of the Bible would say that he, this, he didn't just call him a man. It says, the angel of the Lord came and he wrestled with Jacob all night long. Now, m- most biblical theologian, teachers, people believe that this is God himself in the form of an angel. That's who they believe that that he's actually wrestling with. And you're like, why would God wrestle with somebody? I'm not sure. Totally, but I, I have an idea. And so it goes on though. And it says that the man says, let me go for day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you declare a blessing on me. Now, I just told you, Jacob was loaded. Like, In his day, he was abundantly wealthy. Not a little bit, not some, I mean a whole lot of loaded. You know, there's people that are loaded and there's people that are like loaded, loaded. You know what I'm talking about? And, uh, you know, well, Jacob was loaded, loaded. Like he had more stuff than he knew what to do with. And yet here, he's wrestling with God and his one prayer is, Lord, I will not let go unless you bless me. And so he asked him, the Lord asked him and says, What is your name? And he says, Jacob. And the Lord responds and says, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. That ought to sound familiar. There's a whole nation that's actually named after who was Jacob that became Israel. He says, For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. So Jacob was a fighter, by the way, and we'll see this in, a, in the next few moments. But, it, but God recognizes that you've, you've fought with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why would you ask my name? But he declared a blessing of covenant promises on Jacob there. So Jacob named the place PNL. It says, uh, I probably didn't say that right, but it was a good enough try. Saying... For I have seen God's face or have seen God face to face, and yet my life was not snatched away from me. Because in the old covenant, we don't understand this, only one person got to go into the presence of God once a year. And yet Jacob wrestled with God all night and did not die. Because if the priest was not perfect when he went into the presence of God, they put uh bales around the bottom of his robes, and they put a rope around his ankle, and if they heard a clash, that meant the priest just died, and they drugged him out by that rope. That's what they knew about the presence of God. And so that's why Jacob makes this statement that I have seen the face of God and yet my life has not been snatched away from me. Hosea, uh, one of the uh, prophets of the Old Testament said this about Jacob. He says, even in the womb, Jacob struggled with his brother. Says when he became a man, he even fought with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and won says he kept and he pleaded for a blessing from him. There at Bethel, he met God face to face and God spoke with him. Now this was a defining moment for Jacob. This was life changing for him. It was more than just the changing of his name or or a moment of wrestling with God. It changed everything about him. His whole story shifts in drastic forms because before this, Jacob was a very different person. And yet after this encounter with God, he changed greatly. And so I want to rewind a little bit and I want to give you a little bit of context about Jacob's story and why when he was wrestling with God, he asked for the blessing of the Lord. Because again, remember, he was loaded, loaded. He had stuff. He had everything he could want. And yet he still is asking for a blessing, which tells me all
1: the stuff wasn't enough. Because again, he's loaded, loaded. He's abundant.
0: Got more stuff, got to move because of his stuff. So let's rewind. And and, uh, Hosea here actually gives us a little picture, but in Genesis chapter 25, this is actually the birth of Esau, which is Jacob's older brother by moments, and then there's Jacob, and they're twins. And so this is the account of their birth. And it says that in verse 21, that Isaac, being their father, pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife. Her her name is Rebecca, because she was unable to have children. And the Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebecca became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. Now I've heard of sibling rivalries. That's a different level. They're in their mother's womb fighting. To the point, and it even goes on here. Let me just keep reading here. In verse 24, it says, When the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she indeed uh, would have twins. The first one came out red at birth and covered with a thick hair like a fur coat. I love scripture. I find humor. He comes out blood red and hairy. Just like the boy comes out just hairy. It says, And his name was Esau. The Lord has a sense of humor. If you don't believe me, why would he have a monkey that has a pink rear end and hair everywhere else? Right? Like like he makes the monkeys like, wait, come back here. Let me pluck some hair off your rear end. Like God has a sense of humor. So why he's hairy like this at birth? I have no idea, but his name is Esau. It says, then the other twin was born and his hand was grasping at Esau's heel. Esau's being birthed and a hand comes out hooked to his foot. I mean, they're fighting. Why? Because in their culture, the firstborn had a blessing. It was a non-negotiable, non-losable blessing that came. And so if you were first, you got double. And so even as babies, Esau and Jacob are competing against one another. They're fighting. They're jockeying for position. It goes on. So he was grasping Esau by the heel. So they named him Jacob. Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. Got anybody around 60 that wants some twins? Anybody? Anybody? I didn't think so. But the name Jacob, again, I I will tell you, is that these names many times in Scripture have significant meaning. And so even the name Jacob means supplanter, And what that means is that you will overcome somebody by force if necessary. You will do whatever it takes to Think of a plant to uproot a plant and put yourself in that position. You ever tried to pull up a weed? It it takes some effort. But his name also means that he's a deceiver, a liar, a crook, a trickster. Jacob was kind of slick. You ever met somebody who was just kind of slick? Like every time they're talking to you, you're just trying to figure out like what angle are you trying to work? Because I just don't really trust you. Well, that's Jacob. But I think Jacob was also scrappy. He was a fighter, and you can see this, and, and even though I think his, by name, yes, he considered to be a deceiver and a liar, if you go and read the story of his family, it's kind of a family trait, actually. It wasn't just him. I mean, he worked for an uncle for seven years to marry one of his daughters. Now, I know that's, yeah, you heard me right. He worked for one of his uncles to marry one of his, you're like, wait, that's his cousin. Yes, it's weird. Yes, I know. We can get past it now. But... And so the uncle gets him drunk and gives him a different daughter. And he wakes up and is like, that's not my wife. And then the uncle says, well, if you work for me
1: seven more years, I'll give you the other one too. So deceit was kind of running in the family.
0: Abraham lied about his wife, his grandfather and said, oh, that's not my wife. She's my sister. To Pharaoh, his his dad, Isaac, does the same thing with Rebecca. Go read the story. I mean, it was a family trait. So the story goes on, though. Picking up in, in Genesis 25, verse 27. It says, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman. But Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. And so Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home. But Rebecca loved Jacob. So you have a set of twins. You got mom and dad. They both have their favorites. So this is what this sounds like to me is that Esau was a man's man. He was a man of the land, of the outdoors. He was rough and tough. He was kind of like John Wayne. Kill and eat. Jacob, on the other hand, this isn't politically correct. He was a mama's boy. He stayed home with mom and he learned how to cook and, and he learned. So they're very different. Esau's hairy. Jacob is not. One's probably strong and boat up looking and kind of commanding of a presence. And then you got Jacob who's not. That's why he has to lie and deceive because he has to. You got brains and brawn. That's what you've got going on here. So, in verse 29, it picks up and it says that one day Jacob was cooking some stew, and Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Let me just give you a little word of wisdom here. When you're exhausted and hungry, you'll do stupid things. And Esau is about to do a very stupid thing because he's exhausted and he's hungry. And if we aren't careful, we can run and push ourselves and and maybe not take care of ourselves the way that we should. And so the enemy, the Bible tells us that he's what lurking around, looking for somebody who's what susceptible to attack. Says he's looking for one who he can devour. He's looking. Let me say it this way. He's trying to find you when you're weak. And when you're weak, he says, now's the time. And this happens. and, and, And so. And just like the devil does with us, Jacob sees a moment and an opportunity here where Esau is exhausted and he's hungry. And Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some, some of that red stew. So Jacob, being the brains of the operation, says, all right, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Now, remember, I told you that's a double portion So he was, he was, Esau had twice as much of the inheritance. If they were just the two boys, Esau would get twice as much as Jacob would. And so Esau's tired. He's hungry. And he says, and and Jacob says, Hey, if you're really that hungry, give me your blessing. Give me the blessing that belongs to you. Esau responds and says, look, I'm dying of starvation. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling his rights as the firstborn son to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau sold the blessing that was his. He gave it away for some beans and bread. That's really what just happened. And it was significant. And, And there's other places in Scripture, and we won't have time to look at it, but there's actually, if you keep reading the story, is that, Esau realizes what he gave up. And in the book of Hebrews, it even tells us that he wept bitterly because he realized what he had forfeited for a bowl of soup and a little thing of bread.
1: And so in this moment, Jacob is just working it, right? He's he's
0: doing his best to find this blessing. And for whatever reason, it didn't satisfy him the way that he thought it should have. And so we fast forward a little bit. We're going to jump from Genesis 25 to Genesis 27. And so now Jacob and his mom end up in a little bit of a coup here. Because let me give you the context of what's happening. So remember, Isaac loves Esau. Rebekah loves Jacob. They've got their favorites here. And we're about to see this play out. Starting in verse 1 of Genesis 27, it says, One day when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son, yes, father? Isaac says, I'm now an old man, and I don't know when I'm going to die. Take your bow and a quiver full of arrows and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. See, there was the blessing of the firstborn, but there was also a pronounced blessing that would come from the father as well before they would pass away. And it was significant in their culture. It had financial ramifications. It had lots of things. It's who is dad putting in charge of the family. It was very significant. And and so, so Esau goes out. He goes on a hunt and he's like, I'm going to get my blessing. I've been robbed once. I'm going to get this one. But Rebecca in verse five and six, this won't be on the screen for you. But Rebecca overhears this conversation. And so when Esau leaves, she goes and runs and finds Jacob and says, Hey, here's what I just heard. We got to do something. And he's probably like, well, I don't know. And Rebecca's like, I got a
1: plan. Now uh, this is what's going on. And in verse 11. Jacob responds
0: to his mom and says, because she tells him a plan. And he's got this whole, she's got this whole idea of what she can do. But Jacob has some concerns. And he says, my brother Esau is a very hairy man. And my skin is quite smooth, mom. So, yeah, this is really what, this is really in the Bible. Not making this stuff up. It says, what if my father touches me? he'll say, or he'll see that I'm trying to trick him and he'll curse me instead of blessing me. Because here was the plot. Rebecca says, hey, I'm going to cook the food that your dad's expecting from Esau. I'm going to dress you up like your brother. You're going to take your dad that bowl. He can't see you anyways. He's going to think it's Esau and he's going to bless you. So the scheme is really not just Jacob's. It's actually his mama and him are both in on it now. So in verse 15, we see that Rebecca goes and gets some of uh, Esau's favorite clothes that were in the house. She gave them to Jacob. He covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with
1: the skin of a young goat. I don't know how they pulled this off in a few moments, but I don't know how long Esau was gone. But
0: verse 18 says, so Jacob brought the food to his father and he says, my father, yes, my son. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? And Jacob responds and says, It's Esau, your firstborn. Liar, liar, pants on fire. He says, I've done as you have told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat so you can give me your blessing. He's already stole the blessing once, and now he's after another one, right? And so in verse 22 and 23, Uh, Jacob comes in closer to his father. Isaac touches him and says, the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau. But it didn't click for him. He's still thinking like, man, he can't see him. So he's just kind of basing off of touch here. So Isaac's not quite sure. In verse 26, Isaac says to Jacob, hey, come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of the clothes, Esau's clothes that Jacob is wearing, he was finally convinced, and he blessed his son and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. So Isaac becomes convinced that he's going to put the blessing on the right person, and he blesses Jacob. Jacob has just stolen, once again, the blessing
1: from Esau. Now, it just so happens, I mean, this, this sounds like a like a soap opera. As
0: soon as this all goes down, Jacob's on his way out the room from Isaac. In verse 30, it says that Isaac had finished blessing Jacob. It says, almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from his hunt. What do you think was on Esau's mind? Let's cook. Got to make daddy some, some dinner so that I can receive the blessing that belongs to me that he wants to give to me. Now, you'll have to go read the rest of the story for yourself. Because there's all kinds of things that Esau says. And there's this whole, as you would imagine, there was a blow up. Esau wanted to kill Jacob for a long time and really sought after him. Jacob had to flee, had to run away just to preserve his own life after this moment. But see, I think there's something interesting to me, though. In this story of Jacob... And it's that he had everything that he could have wanted in the world. He had all the stuff. He had all the notoriety. He had the name. He had the blessing of his grandfather, the blessing of his father. He had stolen the blessing of his brother. He had it all. There was nothing that he lacked. And yet we still find this moment where he's still fighting with God, right? And he and the very thing that he asked for, he says, unless you bless me, I'm not going to let go of you. And it's like, Jacob, how much more do you need? Like how much more can one person possess? And yet what it tells us is that what he thought he needed from the birthright, it did not fulfill his soul. There was still something on the inside of him that just didn't settle. So he thought, man, if I could get the blessing of my father, I've got Esau's blessing. Let me go get it from my father. So I'm going to lie, steal, cheat, do whatever I got to do. But if I can get that blessing, it's going to feel this on the inside of me. that just doesn't seem okay. And so he lies, He 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 steals, he goes, as we've already looked at, he does all of these things. And yet it still left him empty. It did not fulfill him at a very core level in his soul. He may have had all the natural things and he did. But yet there was still this longing on the inside of him that he was missing something. And see, the thing is, is that you can have everything. I talked about this a little bit last week. You can have everything that this world has to offer you and still be absolutely empty.
1: You can look like a success on the surface and be miserable on the inside. It's just the truth. And you're like, well, I've never been there. I sure would like to try that. Well, let me just tell you what your, your conclusion will be. Because
0: I've been sold a lie that if I had all this stuff, I would be happy and I would be content and life would be good and, and I would be, and, and, and things would make sense. And the truth is you'll get all that stuff. And then you'll wonder like, is this really what life's all about? Is this really it? Because I've been lied to. Look, God does not, Mind you being blessed at all. God wants you blessed. That's not what I'm telling you.
1: I mean, the Bible says God will give you the desires of your heart. I mean, I've had God bless me with just random stuff. And I'm like, it was just something
0: that I was like, man, that would be cool if I had this or had that. Whatever it was. I've shared, I think I've shared this before, but when I was in college, I bought a watch. I'm a watch guy. I like watches. I don't know why. Now, don't go buy me a watch because I only wear one now, which is my Apple watch, because it has some health monitoring things, all that kind of stuff. So, I, so you know, but I still like watches. I still have a collection of watches, actually. I have a box of them. I don't wear them, so I don't know why I have them, but I do. But when I was in college, I remember I went and bought a watch. It was a fancy watch. I thought it was super cool. I walked in. My dad sees it and was like, what's on your wrist? And he's like, son, there's something wrong with that. You need to take that back. I was like, no, sir, I'm not. And he said, I don't have a watch that nice. You're taking that thing back. I'm a broke college student, but I got some bling on the wrist, right? So me and my dad had a uh, little bit of a discussion about it. Eventually I conceded. I lost the fight, but I would not lose the war, you know? And um, so I took the watch back. Fast forward about three years. Somebody gave me the exact same watch, walked it to me and handed it to me. And said, somebody else gave me this watch, but I feel like it's actually supposed to be given for you. I still have that watch. And you know what? I didn't have to go into debt to buy it. It was a blessing to me. All these things. And God said, hey, I'll give you the desires of your heart. They just can't be the ultimate. They can't be what you're pursuing. Say, well, how do I know if it's it's in the wrong place? Here's how I judge it. If the Lord asked me to give it up, could I? If the answer's no, it's too important. That's, that's, that's how I judge it personally. If the Lord asked me to, to, to give it away, sell it, do whatever, could I do it? If the answer is no, it's too big. It's too important. And so we see this even with, with Jacob in his life. He, he, he's searching and yet there's this emptiness in his soul that he's looking to fill. See, and we, we can be much the same way. We can be searching for a purpose or promotion or status or prosperity or whatever it may be. But just like Jacob has everything and yet has nothing, we can be the same way. It's just the facts. Why? Because those things don't really fill our souls. I mean, we can buy whatever we want. We can go on whatever trip we want. You can go to whatever exotic location and you're like, oh, if I just could live here. Give it a few months living there and guess what? Your problems will follow you to that promised land. They will. It's it's just true. Why? Because you don't change. Your location might, but you don't change. And this happens with Jacob. He moves from place to place to place. He's blessed beyond measure. And yet there's this discontentment in his soul. So that we get to this moment. And here's the truth is that we can look for these things. And sometimes we look to people. To fulfill us. That's a heavy burden for anybody. I love, my life. I love my wife with all of
1: my heart. I would do anything for her. But the one thing that she can never be for me is savior. She
0: can never be fulfiller of my life.
1: And if I, and if I put that load on her, I'm asking her to be Jesus. That's really the truth she can't be. And if we're looking to relationships to bring that fulfillment into our life, there it, it will we will be found ourselves very frustrated. See Jacob comes to this
0: place and this is why he grabs hold of God. This is why he's wrestling with God because he says, I've had the blessing of my father and I've had the blessing of my grandfather and I've had the blessing of my brother and none of these have mattered. They got me a lot of stuff, but it never fulfilled my soul. And he makes the statement in Genesis thirty-five 27, we've already looked at it. And he says that I will not let go unless you bless me. Now this isn't just an angel, this isn't just a man, this is God himself that Jacob is wrestling with. And he's not asking for more stuff. What he's asking for is I need that belonging and that fulfillment that I am yours and you are mine. And that we are in relationship one with another because all the stuff did not fulfill my heart. And so I've been left empty and yet now I'm, I'm seeing you and I've grabbed a hold of you. And I see who you are and I want you to bless me. And that is that relationship, that connection. And so many times we can try to satisfy our things ourselves with so many other things and we just find them lacking and we find them wanting and they're empty at the end of the day. And we wonder, is there not more to life than this? Like we're, we're meant for more than just to exist, to live, to breathe, to eat, to die. Life is about much more than that. And if we're just going through the days, day after day, not realizing that we're chasing the wrong blessings. This is what Jacob came to. He realizes none of this stuff matters. This is what I want. This is what I've been searching for. This is what I've been fighting for. And we're all in this fight. We all struggle and we all fight this exact same fight that Jacob has. Is that we can choose to pursue all kinds of things. But none of them are ultimate things. And so we settle for the lesser than we do for the greater. And the greater is to be in a a very vibrant, real relationship, connection where God is real to you. He's not just what we talk about in church. He's not just what we read in the scriptures. There's a real connection, a life-giving connection with God. And when you get into that moment and you get into the presence of God, you would say the same thing that Jacob says. I will not let go unless you bless me. Why? Because there's this connection. It's like, man, there's, there's reality here. I remember the first time that I ever encountered the presence of God. My first thought was, I get it. I'd grown up in church and I never got it until I had a moment that I encountered God for me in a, because why? All of a sudden it all became real. It wasn't theoretical and it wasn't just religion There was something very real and it would transform my life. And it happened that fast. Why? Because everything else that I'd been longing for. The acceptance that I was looking for, the love I was looking for, the belonging that I was looking for. I found it in a moment. And I'd been looking to everybody else and to everything else for it. And I found it in a moment when I came into the presence of God. And I realized this is what I've been looking for. Jacob has the same experience. See, the, the truth is, is that we can have everything that the world has to
1: offer, but without a relationship with Jesus, it'll all mean nothing. It'll mean nothing. Everybody can be jealous of you and your thought would be, if you only knew how miserable I actually am. I've met lots of people like this. I was invited to a party one time.
0: I won't give too many of the details. No, it was not a party. It was a social because adults don't do parties. They do socials, right? So I was invited to a Christmas social. And I was not raised in this type of environment. Like you had to get dressed up to go. Not quite tux, but pretty close. This is somebody's house. Like I drove up and somebody wants to park my truck. I'm like, hey, give my keys to nobody. I don't know you. It was one of them kind of things. I was very uncomfortable. I walked into the party. Social, I'm sorry. People are doing what they do at socials. And this guy that I knew, who happened to be the host, who had invited me, talk about a fish out of water. I mean, I'm like the clampets came to town, you know, I'm like, woo, <laughs> it's a fancy People walking around with their little plates. You know, would you like an hors d'oeuvre? I, what is that? <laughs> I ain't eating nothing. I don't know what it is, and I don't know what that is. But I, I mean, I, I had been saved a six months, a year, maybe. But I will never forget. He came and he put his arm around me. He's a big guy. I'm probably nineteen ish. And he told me, he said, he said, you know, you ever heard the phrase, the, the down and outers? I was like, yes, sir. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. He said, well, these
1: are the up and outers. These are the people I'm trying to reach. And there was a house slam full of people that had everything. And they were just drinking their problems away. And
0: I don't mean a cocktail. I mean, getting smashed. And this is the who, who of, who's who of my city. I'm a 19-year-old kid looking around going, why are you so miserable? And if you have success, and that's what success looks like, I don't know that I want that. Now, I'm not judging them. I'm just telling you, I'm just recounting to you the story. But that statement has stuck with me for many, many years. These are the up and outers. Because they had everything, but they didn't have Jesus. They didn't have that deep within their, that that connection to the Lord. Now, the flip side of this is true as well. Even if you don't have much that the world has to offer, but you have Jesus, you're actually blessed beyond measure. You really are. Why? Because he's everything. He's the most important thing. Why? Because at your highest and at your worst, Jesus is there. He never leaves you, He never forsakes you. I mean, look, and, and I know we've all walked through a
1: lot of things in the last year and a half. But we have to decide what's most important, we have to make that determination.
0: Really, what do I exist for? Is it for me or is it to bring glory to God? Because if I live a life for myself, it's pretty narrow. It's pretty limited. But if I can live a life with the kingdom of God in mind, I exist for the glory of God in everything that I do and every day that I live and every conversation that I have and every person that I encounter, am I pointing them to Jesus in some way? That doesn't mean that I have to be pushy or aggressive or the Bible says it this way. Jesus said, let your light shine before men. Let them
1: see your good works that they would glorify your father in heaven. Sometimes we need to do more and talk less. Sometimes that would help. But see, just like Jacob had.
0: He had a moment with God. He had this brief encounter with God, and he said, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And it wasn't about the blessing. See, every other time, because I think we put the emphasis on the wrong word many times, because every other time it was Esau, I want your blessing. Jacob, I want your blessing. But I believe the heart of of Jacob when he begins to wrestle with the Lord is unless you bless me. Before it was always about the blessing. Now Jacob has this moment, this life altering, life defining moment with God. Unless you bless me, I will not let you go. And and the Lord's like, fine, I'll bless you. Like, let me go. Now I don't know if he's like Cinderella and got a clock and I don't know what's going on. I don't know why daybreak was a big deal. I have no idea. But for whatever reason, the sun's coming up. God's got to go. Like, I don't know. But that's what scripture says. I don't know if his disguise had a time limit. I don't know. Not sure. But this is what I know. Just like Jacob. God wants for every one of us to have an encounter with him. Like a very real, very deep encounter with him. Where God becomes not just God, but he becomes your father. Like this real connection. And and look, and I don't care if you got saved 40 years ago. My question was, is for you, have you been in the presence of God? Because in the presence of God is what fullness of joy. In the presence of God is strength. In the presence of God is where the Bible says that he would renew your strength. It's all of these things. And so even as we're kind of, as I'm pulling this to a close here this morning, that is my question with you.
1: Is have you made a a priority to actually encounter the presence of God? I mean, today marks day one of
0: our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Like, well, what is the point of prayer and fasting? It's to encounter God. There is no greater blessing than the presence of God. Why? Because the presence of God is what gives you peace in the midst of chaos. It's what gives you strength when you're at your wit's end. It's what allows you to go beyond yourself and to do things way beyond yourself. But it's the presence of God moving on the inside of us. And so even as we're laying some things down, we're setting some things aside during this time. The goal is not to lay some things aside. The goal is actually to grab hold of God, just like Jacob did. And my prayer would be for you is that you would have the same uh, cry that Jacob did, which is, Lord, I want you, like the goal is you. The goal is not everything else. But if I get you, all the blessings can come. Because it'll keep my heart right, but I have to maintain that connection and that, that, that relationship with God. Now, we've given you a few resources, but I would encourage you. You're like, what does the Bible say about fasting? Go read Matthew 6. It gives you instructions about when you pray, when you give, when you fast. It doesn't say if, it says when. It's kind of a commandment. Let me say it this way. At minimal, it's the expectation from the Lord to us. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. There are several books that I could recommend if you're curious and you're like, man, I, I don't know about all this. I think we have some back there on the bookshelf. I think there's a Jensen Franklin book on fasting, if I'm not mistaken. It's a great book. Great book to start with. Read it. But the goal is to actually what? Come near to God. Just like Jacob did. Look, he had this whole tattered history and it didn't matter to God because when he got to God, guess what? God met him. Right in the middle of who Jacob was, the liar, the thief, the deceiver, the supplanter. I mean, he was, and God says, I'm going to step right into that. And Jacob wrestles with God and he gets the blessing. And that's what this 21 days is about. You're not trying to wrestle something from God. You have to remember Jesus hadn't gone to the cross. Jesus hadn't given access to the throne the way that we have today. The Bible says that all spiritual blessings are available to us. Everything that's in heaven right now is available to us as children of God because of Jesus. But we have to access it. It's no different than if somebody dropped a million dollars in your account and they just didn't, they forgot to tell you. You would never go access that million dollars because you didn't know. I'm telling you, these 21 days. This is, this is really what my prayer is for me personally. And this is the way I always approach 21 days of prayer is, Lord, let me get to the end of myself. Like, let me get to where I'm just like, God, I have nothing left but you. Where you're all that I really want. You're all that I really need. And, it's a, it, it's, and look, and it happens at different times of year. But especially at the first of the year, I want to be reminded, Lord, my life is about you. Everything that I do is about you. And without you, none of this other stuff matters. So that's the goal for me. You can set your own goal, but that's my goal. Is I want to get to a place where I've removed distractions. And the cry of my heart is, God, I want you. I want your presence. I, wanna, I want to experience who you are. I've shared this verse a number of times over the last couple of weeks. But I'm going to repeat it again. It's Jeremiah 29, 13 says, if you seek him wholeheartedly you will find him. If you'll take this time and you'll use this devotional and you'll pray. Like from your heart, not just from your head. If you'll really worship from your heart and not from your head. The Bible promises promises us that God inhabits the praises of his people. When you begin to worship from your heart. Not from here, but from like the depths of who you are. Like you sing, you know, like you can sing a love song and not mean it. Well, you can sing a worship song and not really mean it. But man, when you get to that place of where you mean your prayers and your worship is genuine and you're wholehearted, it catches God's attention. And he says, one of my kids is calling for me. I got to go. I got to go and be with my God. And man, it, and it's amazing what God can do in a moment. It's amazing. God can fix years of dysfunction in a moment. It's crazy. I say that because he's done it for me. Multiple times. Why? Because I'm dysfunctional. I got issues. So do you. So we're all in the same boat. But man, I'm telling you, if you can get into the presence of God, years of hurt, Years of, of doubt. God can work in a moment. And it can happen in a service like this, but it can happen with you sitting down, reading your devotional, reading some scripture, praying, worshiping. And all of a sudden the presence of God will just invade that space. Why? Because you created some space for him. And then you'll be able to pray and, and just as genuine as you can. And you'll say, God, all I want is you. I thank you for all the blessings that you bring into my life, but they're nothing compared to you and to having your spirit in my life and your presence in my life. And so we're just intentionally turning down some of the noise in our life. We're tuning into the spirit of God. That's what 21 days is all about. So that at the end of 21 days, it's like, man, my life has been transformed and I know that the rest of my year, I sowed the seed at the beginning so that harvest can come the rest of the year. And so I want to pray over you this morning.